Hey there, and welcome to Uncommon Communion. This is episode number three. Um, my name is Jonathan Goss. If this is your first episode of Uncommon Communion, welcome. Um, if you've been listening, thank you. Hey, tell your friends about it. Um, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Um, perhaps you're listening to us on SoundCloud or an Android app. Um, tell, tell your friends about us. Yeah, um, we want as many folks to listen to this as possible. So um, today's episode is, I'm going to just go ahead and say um, awesome in a word. Yeah, awesome. Um, it is with Becca Stevens. And if you don't know who that is, I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. She is a uh, ordained reverend in the United, I'm sorry, in the Episcopal Church. There's no United. I'm United something. She's not. Um, but she is the founder and director of Thistle Farms, an organization out of Nashville, Tennessee, that does some of the best ministry um, in not just in our the Southeast, in our nation, but in the world, honestly. And their motto is Love Heals. That's the name of this episode, and you'll learn more about that later. But Becca and Thistle Farms, their goal is to help women that have been um, trafficked. That's not a word. Um, help women that have been in human trafficking. There we go. Um, help women that have been abused, maybe sexually or physically, and to help women that struggle with addiction all in hopes that uh, they can learn how to heal. And that's their goal is to empower those women, to give them sustainable housing, to give them jobs. And so we're going to talk a lot about that. I encourage you to go check out their website. Just Google Thistle Farms. Um, They sell products that these women make. I want to tell you to go buy their products. Um, Their products go towards funding Um, sustainable housing for these women, uh, a two-year program that these women are in to recover. And we at our church, at First Church, um, had several of the women here this past week. Um, Becca spoke on a Thursday night. Two of the women spoke in our services, and we we let them sell products. And so you can also buy those products online. So do that. Whole Foods also sells their products. And Whole Foods, if you don't know this, is owned by Amazon, so you can get your products shipped to your house. So that's all that about Thistle Farms. Also joining me on this podcast and helping me co-host is Stephanie Arnold. She's a reverend at a United Something Church. Um, she is a, a United Methodist pastor, and she just got appointed to be our senior pastor at First Church. And Stephanie is a good friend of mine. I consider her a mentor and uh, soon to be um, coming up my boss, I guess. So that's cool. Um, she will be the first female pastor um, at the first senior female pastor at First Church ever in 143 years. So you do the math. I don't know when that goes back to 18 um, something. Um, but yeah, Stephanie does a great job. Um, she's read some of Becca's books. Um, she had great uh, theological depth. Um, she made the podcast smart, I'll say. Um, and so. The real reason we at First Church had Becca come and speak to folks, had um, two women from Thistle Farms come and speak to our folks, is because we believe that the church should be authentic, and the church should really ask tough questions, not just theologically tough questions. Um, those are needed, definitely, but tough questions about life. And so we've done this Hope Beyond Sermon series, and we're still in that, and we've talked about grief We've talked about abuse, and that covered physical abuse, sexual abuse, 
um, emotional abuse. Um, this week, we're talking about addiction, and uh, the week after that, we'll talk about mental illness. And we try to lean into topics that maybe the church has been silent on. Uh, maybe the church has not given good language, good theology, um, a good message to folks that are really struggling with these things. And so we believe in being authentic and real as a church, and the best way we know how to do that is to really just lean into these conversations and let women, um, let folks from our congregation share about whether it be abuse or grief or addiction or mental illness. And um, one of the women from Thistle Farms, her name was Ty. She spoke in our modern worship service. She did a fantastic job. And right before she was about to go up and speak, um, I was sitting on the row she was sitting in, and she came over to me, and she leaned in, and she was like, um, so there are a lot of kids in this space. Is it okay if I am completely honest with what happened to me? And um, that that's another thing we believe in, actually, is, you know, these things happen. Um, Ty shared in her story that um, she was first abused at like age eight or nine. So, I mean, these are things that children and youth need to be aware of and to taught and to be taught so that we can keep everyone safe so that folks that have been abused can heal. Um, and so that's what we believe in at First Church, and we try to do our best, and not that we are perfect, but um, these topics in, in particular are, are I think, vital um, to a church being real and authentic and honest and open and transparent. Um, and, and just to kind of wrap all of that up, um, I will say this. So um, our second <laughs> guest on Uncommon Communion was Melissa Scott, and she is going to speak in our sanctuary service this week. And uh, I was emailing back and forth with her because one of the questions I had for her is, we're, we're talking about addiction this week. Um, like, what are things that folks struggling with addiction, what are things they need to hear? And what are things they don't need to hear? And I asked the same question for families. You know, what are things that families or friends um, that have someone they are, they are close to struggling with addiction, what are things they need to hear and what are things they don't need to hear? And, and, and I'm not going to really get into that because that's not the, what this podcast is about. But one thing she sent me was this. It said in an email, um, she's kind of wrapping up, and she's thankful that we're willing to lean into these difficult issues. Um, and she said, shame thrives in secrecy. So the more we talk about it, the more room there is for healing and recovery. And, and th- that's, that's truth. That is truth. Um, I, I can say amen to that. I believe Jesus would say amen to that. that. That's part of the gospel. And so that is what we hope to do. And Becca's story is so powerful. It's so honest. It's so raw. I mean, she just, she's great. She's funny. She was fun. But she also was just very real. And so... Um, We hope you all will enjoy this episode. Um, We called it Love Hills, and you will hear Becca say more about that. So please enjoy. Well, uh, well, Becca, thank you so much for joining us this this afternoon here in Birmingham, Alabama. And we're also joined by Stephanie Arnold. Hey. How are you doing, Stephanie? I'm pretty good. Yeah. Becca, yourself, how's your day going? So you've traveled most of the day, correct? It wasn't, it wasn't bad. It was out of Nashville. Right. We drove about two and a half hours. It was easy. Then we got here and uh, um, 
hotel had a line out the door. Really? Yeah, because their whole system was down to check oh. in at some concert tonight. And so everybody was checking what in. What concert? Oh, it's the, the Eagles. Ooh. And I'm wondering if it's just a couple Eagle. Okay. <laughs> at this point, it's, it's got to just be one Eagle. <laughs> I was eagle. like, really? That's right. I, somebody texted today and said mm-hmm. um, that that was going on. Gosh, anyway, sorry. That's no big deal. There you go. Hey, Birmingham's popping. The Eagle... <laughs> are in town, maybe. Uh, Eagleishes. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. My and, joy. Uh, we're we're just gonna talk light here to get started, and then we'll we'll get into some good stuff. So, um, have you had a good week so far this week? It's early in the week, or no? It's Thursday. I thought it was Tuesday, so that's how my <laughs> week's been going. Have you had a good week so far? I have. Thank you. Bye bye, you, Steph. My week has been full. It's been very full. Nothing bad, but just. Um, Every day has ended, um, and <laughs> it has felt very full. So yeah. I'm looking forward to tomorrow. I have a baby shower for a friend that I get to help throw, and that feels light and joyful. So Good. Do you have any weekend plans? You're here tonight I, for an event here uh-huh. at our church. And then I drive out at 5 a.m. and drive to Atlanta and hop on a wow. plane and go to New Hampshire for a faith summit. Look then, at that. Mm-hmm. It's it's this is the season. I mean, part of the journey of Thistle Farms is to be on the road, right? And sharing the wow. story and selling the products. And it slows down. I have about two weeks left in the season. How, so, how long is that season of travel? It's been going on um, since the beginning, end of January, beginning of February. Wow! So it's usually two or three cities a week. It's good though. It's not. I mean, I get to travel with women who are graduates. I get to. Meet all kinds of new people and talk on podcasts. There oh, you I go. like it. Have you ever talked on a podcast? I feel like you have. Have talk- you been on a podcast? <laughs> you've before? never looked me up, have you? No, I have. Oh, no, you've done no I know you've research. been on the Today Show. I know your husband co-wrote Bless This Broken Road mm-hmm. and Cowboy Take Me Away. Did I get that right? Oh, like man, I love that song. I do, too. Aww. So that was like in high school, one of my favorite oh, albums, yeah. that Dixie Chicks album. Yeah. I actually like both of Thanks for letting me know how young you are. Thank you. <laughs> She thought you looked much older than that. Wow, I'm surprised. Here's how I know you're big time, Becca. And I know you won't like me saying that, but you have a check by your name on Twitter. You're verified. So, like, I don't know what that means. I didn't do it. (laughs) I mean, I do, I tweet, but I didn't do that. I don't know who does that. So, I did do my research and I saw that and I was like, I've done done many, many podcasts, partly because, you know, I author books. Right. And there's not really book tours anymore, but people want to talk about books on podcasts. So it ends up that you get, you know, you basically are, you know, if the podcast is heard just by 100 people, you get to talk about your yeah. book. Right. So it's something I do a lot. So how in the to- how do you have time to write a book if you're traveling? Right. Well, so there's much. seasons. And so like this summer, I'll be uh-huh. off for like... So you can write a book in a summer? I wrote the last one, Love Heals, in a summer. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. I did, but not all of them. Is that like hours every day? Yes. Just dedicated to writing? Yes. You have a, do you have a favorite place you like to write? Um, I like to write in the morning. And my pref- okay. I mean, my perfect place is my bathtub. I have a, <laughs> I have a duct tape um, piece of wood that just sits on the bathtub, but it's duct tape so it doesn't warp. And then I just put my little, little laptop on there. I love that. Right awesome. away. But I can write anywhere. I can write as long as it's in the morning. And by the afternoon, I, everybody's thoughts have gotten in my head and yep. I've lost my voice. I'm t- I, I mm. totally agree with you. I like to write in the morning. Um, 
I do, I don't write in water with an electronic device, but I write it in my brain and then go get out and mm-hmm. can type it up. Mm-hmm. But I've always been a You should really, too. I mean, I've never lost a computer in a bathtub. I mean, but you're not like moving tub? around. What about a hot tub? I wouldn't do a hot tub because of the jets. It would get wet. But you don't have to have the jets turned on high. No, but then you'd have to have a very long board. That's true. <laughs> I think we workshop an, an idea here that we I need to present so. like the Shark Tank is what I think we're doing. Now, I would definitely write in a hot tub if I had an appropriate apparatus <laughs> upon which to write. I'm writing I'm, I'm this with down. You. Um, I think I'm going to need to build an appropriate But I don't think also, apparatus. I don't think it electrocutes you if it's not plugged in. <laughs> I don't, not, not bad, right? Just a little I don't stinging. think it does. Why would it electrocute you? I don't think we should test this oh. hypothesis. Okay. I think we ought to Google it. I mean, I think it would kill your computer. I think you're right, actually. Yeah. 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 But I mean, you never hear like if it. Surely if we would have heard in. by now. If your phone falls in the bathtub, you don't get electric. Right. right. You're right. Yeah. That's that's fair. So just don't plug it in, friends. <laughs> there you go. That's the first tip on this podcast. Okay, what do y'all want to talk about? Let's well, talk. Well, tell us a little bit about uh, your family, uh, maybe where you grew up, what that was like. Mm-hmm. How about that? Does that sound good? It sounds good. I can totally do that. So, um, because part of it is it's part of the whole story of why there is Thistle Farm. So I grew up, my mom and dad are from the north. I was born in Connecticut, Mm. five kids, moved down south in 1968. My dad got called to serve a church here, and then he got killed that year by a drunk driver. So my mom was 35 years old, you know, with five kids. And so we were kind of thrown into chaos, Mm. How old were you when that happened? I was five. Okay. And, um, you know, what happens, and what, I mean, you don't know this when you're going through it, but really what happens is once you have, like, a real trauma in your family, it kind of opens you a lot to a lot of other traumas, especially if that trauma includes kind of a dive into poverty. Mm-hmm. You're just out there and you're exposed. So what happened for me was one of the um, elders in the church that took over started sexually abusing me. And that started in the church, and it went on for maybe three years. And by this time, I mean, i got to say that I have an amazing family. Like, Mm -hmm. my mom was amazing, and my siblings, there's five of us, like I said. Um, We were real close, but there um, there was just a lot of stress and trying to figure out, like, how do you pay bills? How are we all going to go to school? You know, whatever the thing was. And... um, all three of my older sisters got married in their teens wow. and left. And then I went on to um, go to Suwannee, the University of the South up in Suwannee, Tennessee, <coughs> and majored in math. And I was already really kind of for the underdog. I mean, like wanting to help people who kind of had a bad deal in, in the world, new injustice and poverty and all that stuff. And so I loved math, but I couldn't think of anything to do with it. So I got a job with Bread for the World and moved to D.C. I love Bread for the World, too. So it was a year-long internship working with churches. And it was during that time I realized really what I wanted to do was get ordained. Mm. And so I came back to Nashville, um, moved back in with my mom, and went to Vanderbilt Divinity School. Um, They gave me a full ride. It was a real gift. And walked down the hallway the first week and bumped into my husband. (laughs) (laughs) Were you Episcopalian at that time? Mm -hmm. We grew up Episcopalian. We were just, that was what we were. And so got ordained and married my country music 
husband and started a life. Wow. And you all have children? Yes, I have. We have three sons. We've been married 30 years now. It seems unbelievable to me. And we have a son that's 26, whose name is Levi Humman, and he is taken after his dad. I asked him when he was little if he wanted to be a priest, and he was like, ooh, no, that's a girl job. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Love that. But he grew up to be like his daddy, so he's a country music writer and singer and artist in Nashville doing really, really well. He, awesome. There was just a huge article on him on how he um, is, you know, just killing it on Spotify. Nice. Is he the one that, I know there was a song, was that in November that Thistle Farms put out? I remember seeing a video it was mm-hmm. of your son. It was like son. just a couple months ago. Okay, was it just a couple months ago? With he and Allison Krauss? Was that the one? It's called Love Heals. Yeah, that, yeah. that was it. That was yeah. Allison's it was really voice good. along with Levi's. It's really good. And then we have another son that's graduating from college this year and a son that's graduating from high school. And they're doing really well. That's so right. it's good. All mm-hmm. boys. All boys. Yeah. Wow. Do you got boys? I have one boy and one girl. I have a 13-year-old daughter um, in the midst of middle school, um, seventh grade, and then an 11, almost 12-year-old um, son who's a sixth grader. So mm. they're All you got to do is survive middle school. Right? Goodness. Ugh, I mean, some Lord. days are great, mm-hmm. and some days aren't. I know. Um, but so I work. You? I have a two-year-old dog. No way. Um, I don't have any kids, yeah. So her name is Sasha. Nice. So she is our baby. She's uh, beautiful. Bernie's Mountain Dog. I'm Bernie's Mountain Dog. Mm. Uh, <laughs> to your point about surviving middle school, and maybe you both can speak. So I work with middle schoolers, mm-hmm. and I can think back to my middle school experience and my wife's. Do you think it's harder? Um, do you find, like, your daughter, Georgia, complaining about middle school more than Sawyer? Yes. But, I mean, she's a year older. I don't. Right. She didn't complain about it in sixth grade right? either. Was middle school hard for your your boys? I think something's wrong if middle school's not hard. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think that it's like you are really trying to find your voice and where you fit in and how it all works, and you're beginning to see some of the – I'm trying to think of words, not a cuss word. <laughs> Man, if you would like right. to cuss on our it's podcast. Right. No, but I'm just like, – okay, well, just the bullshit around you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're and you're testing it, and, and your body's changing, oh, you're changing. That's what I was getting to, yeah. You know, it's hard. Yeah. And it's like, good. You need to, you know, that's, you're growing up. That is, that mm. takes some work. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I always go back to middle school and how much I wanted to belong and how, you know, and that's a microcosm for, like, life experience. Like, I still, you know, as a. That longing I is I still there. want that. Um, I know. And I'm not in middle school anymore. Mm. You know, I think it's um, in, in all of us. I mean, I think. If you're on a spiritual journey, you have some longing. And especially if you're working with kids that age, that longing has been there. And it's it's just the idea of honing it and recognizing it and saying, oh, wait, that is part of it. That's not a bad thing. I'm not going to get rid of it. I'm not going to, you know, find myself in the middle of an Eagles concert and not feel that way mm-hmm. or right. in the desert and feel that way. That's part of it. And, it, like, I take a lot of comfort in that. Like, all my... Um, People I've read and admire and, and look up to as mentors, like Dorothy Day. I mean, she started a community, mm. and her autobiography is called The Long Loneliness. Mm. And I think you tell high, middle school kids, you know, you're not going to outgrow that part of it, but you will find a way to hone it and make it powerful. Mm. 
Yeah. That's what I think. I think that's the goal, not to say, like, don't feel that way. Right. Don't Don't feel out of place. Don't feel like you're going to find it. You're mm-hmm. going to find it. You're going to find it because it's like actually you don't. But, I mean, you can find people that share that longing and loneliness and join you on it. Yeah. And you can use it f- to be empathetic for yeah. others. You, I mean, that's, that's my hope is um, as I watch my kids, when they experience something that I would wish that I could protect them from, but I can't, um, my hope for them is that somewhere in there later on that gives them a, a deep sensitivity to somebody else who's going mm-hmm. through something hard. Um, so if if their experience doesn't mirror that other person's, at least they go, gosh, I, I remember when I felt alone or when somebody made fun of me or somebody called me that. It didn't feel good. Right. So I, I'm going to stand up or, you know, go befriend somebody else. Becca, I was really struck in your book, um, Snake Oil. Was mm-hmm. that your first book? No? But it doesn't matter. Okay. Well. It was a while back. Um, I, I remember reading in that, you talking about your story, um, of your family and your, your dad's death and then being abused. But in there, if I remember correctly, you, you write about confronting your abuser mm-hmm. at one point. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you might share with us what led you to be able to kind of stand in that moment mm-hmm. um, and, and kind of take back that empowerment and, and own your voice and name that. Well... So I'd already started Thistle Farms. We'd already started okay. the residential community for women who are survivors of abuse and sexual assault and trafficking and addiction. And what I realized, I didn't realize in a way that part of the reason I had started it was really because of my own okay. woundedness. I really, I mean, I hadn't like thought through it all really, really well. Um, and I didn't know that on average the women that were on the streets were first rate between 7 and 11 years old and first hit the streets between 14 and 16 years old. So we're talking about middle school kids. I mean, they're out on the streets trying to figure that stuff out, which is, you can't, I mean, it's just unbelievable. So what was happening was I started doing the work, and all of it was kind of triggering those memories for Mm -hmm. me. And I had done work on it. I talked to my mom. I talked to my husband. Um, But I really hadn't really, really dealt with what it was, like just the impact in my life. And so what happened, what happened was Mm -hmm. that I woke up one morning and I had hives all over me. And I thought, this is not good. Mm -hmm. And um, they would come and they would go and I was really, really stressed. And so I went to talk to somebody. And um, during that time, what I realized is that I was carrying this story. Even though it wasn't necessarily a secret, it was it was still like I didn't like his friends didn't know or other people in the church or whatever it was, just I was still carrying it and it was like a cancer. Mm. And I thought, I need to give this story back to his family. Wow. It's not I don't want it to be my story anymore. Mm-hmm. And I just knew it. And my mom and my husband we're both like, we'll go with you. And I was like, I don't, I want to do it alone. I mm. want, I, I went through it alone. Mm-hmm. And I need to take care of it by myself. Mm. And I just knew it. And so, um, you know, I just really just, you know, decided what the day was and how I was going to do it. And I called his wife and said, I need to talk to you and your husband at this time and this date. I'll come to your house. And went over there, and they sat down, and I said, I have a story to tell about your husband who's, you know, sexually assaulted me. 
when I was a kid, and she got up, and she was just sick, mm-hmm. and he was, like, really nervous, and um, I said, you know, you, you can throw up, you can be nervous, but I'm going to sit here, because mm-hmm. I'm going to tell, and he said, well, listen, um, you know, I just have one question, who have you told? Mm-hmm. And it was, in a way, really empowering, because it was like, oh, my God, you son of a bitch, you did do it. Like, I didn't yeah. make any of it yeah. up. Yeah. And then... And now he's scared. Now he's scared, and I said, and so I'm telling the whole story. And so I sat there, and I told him, you know, several different instances of when it happened and where it happened and what he did and how it felt yeah. and how it affected me. And they sat there and listened, and he corrected a couple facts. Wow. Like, that's how much he remembered it. Wow. And um, it was... Unbelievable, and I and then I said, you know, I'm not here to prosecute. I'm here to tell you these are the new boundaries, and this is what's going to happen, and this is now your story. I'm done with it. It's not my secret. Um, you know, I am. I'm done. And here's a list of places you can go. And just so you know, everybody is going to know. Mm. Yeah. And that was it. And I was done. And I really was free. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, you know. It was this miracle moment of forgiveness, but I have totally, I mean, over the years, I mean, totally forgiven him. I think, you know, that doesn't mean he's not held accountable and all of that, but it's like, I can pray for his, he and his family. I can, um, you know, see the mercy in Mm -hmm. it and the gifts, even in the horrible thing I never would have chosen. There were gifts in it. And I think it's helped me be um, like you're saying, you know, empathetic yeah. and compassionate and all that. And it's, I'm not afraid of much. Mm. You know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there that I can be grateful for. That's real freedom to not live in fear. Yeah. And I hear in that that you place the burden back in his lap. Yeah. And that it wasn't yours to have to carry that. And I am not recommending everybody do that. Right. I mean, I think it's like you have to really... Yeah. Um, think it through with people that you trust and know that you have a support system behind mm-hmm. you and all of that. But it's also like, in my, in my head, I'm like, what's he going to do to me now? Yeah. yeah. You know? I mean, and, and I'd said to him, I was like, what you did to that little girl was unbelievable. And the idea that now I'm like holding you accountable for it on her behalf, mm-hmm. you know, I could distance myself enough to get those, those feelings going. Mm-hmm. Wow. How does it make you feel that his first response wasn't, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but it was, who have you told? I don't think I ever expected him to say, you know, that I'm sorry. He at one point said, you were so special to me, you were like one of my kids. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, awesome, then you're just not a pedophile. It's, you know, incestuous yeah. as well. Awesome. Yeah. You know, I mean, wow. it's crazy. But what the other thing that, you know, I really feel like is it's, Two things. One is that everybody's story is different and how they handle it needs to be different. And I really believe that. Mm-hmm. So this is not a recommendation. This is just me sharing my story. Yeah. And the second thing is people want you to get over abuse bad. Mm. I'm like, how much longer till you get over it? Well. And what's what I have learned is that I can incorporate it into myself. I'm never going to get over it. I may go under it. I may go around it. <laughs> but, you know... It's a part of my life. It's a part of my um, understanding of this world and safety. And so when you go through something like that, um, it affects relationships. Mm -hmm. It affects how you parent. Mm -hmm. 
It affects how you understand school systems and church systems. And so I I gave up years ago thinking, oh, I'm just going to get over it. Now I just go like, I'm really going to respect it and other people too. And imagine what I always try to imagine is like if somebody, you know, um, I don't know, lost a leg, you wouldn't ask them to still run. Like when you get over that lost leg, Mm -hmm. you know, you may find new ways of running and new abilities and have a team that really supports you and you're powerful in your new self, but it's not the same. Mm -hmm. It's gone. Listening to you like that, I get this image of a tapestry or something with, you know, a color of thread woven throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that that thread is removed. It's there, but mm-hmm. it, but it doesn't doesn't have to be the only thread. That's exactly um, right. In that tapestry. Wow. So when you are in ministry and you are getting this idea of working with women, tell me some about how that vision came into being, and then how, like, what were the concrete steps you took to make that vision become a reality? Because I think, you know, Jonathan and I have talked, and we work on a church staff, and there are a lot of times that we have visions for something, but don't know how to take it from that dream to something that is actually implemented and and thriving. Right. It's a great question, and I wish I had a really great answer. I think... Um, you don't have a one, two, three? That no. I can... okay. <laughs> um, no, but I do think... I mean, I don't know so much about vision. I don't know that I had a great vision. and I mean, I've always worn glasses to drive. I don't have great long-distance vision, well, so metaphorically how did you get or anyway. I just think... I think I'm pretty practical, and I'm not... Um, I'm not, like, so tied into a vision. Anybody, any one person's vision doesn't do that much for me. I think a good idea, you can go to a group of people and you can create something and it needs to be practical and relevant mm-hmm. and something that, you know, is possible. So I do have ideas. I have some dreams. Um, and I just thought it'd be really great to have a sanctuary for women who are coming off the streets and say, okay, you can live here free for two years with no authority in the house. Because what trips women up who've gone through all this is one, they don't have any money. Two, you don't have enough time to do the healing work you need to do. And three, all that authority is just triggering you. Mm. It's like somebody telling you what to do is the worst. So get rid of all that and just say, here's the key to the house. What do you need? I'll help. And I really just think the idea was to do it the way I would want it done for me. That was as far as it went. And the big surprising thing for me was how... It wasn't that hard to do it. You know, you get a house, raise some money, and open it and do it in a really beautiful, lavish way that's inspiring. Don't do it on the cheap. Do it on the beautiful. You know, if if churches built shelters like cathedrals, Mm -hmm. it would be a much more relevant, practical, and sustaining Mm -hmm. institution, you know, I think. So... The steps I took were um, I wanted to do the house on the same, the first house on the same street I lived on so no one could say not in my backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, and approached a lot of my husband's friends who were, you know, country music writers and singers and just said, we need this much money. And we got one big church offering and a bunch of individuals and we paid for it for the first couple of years. And then it was, oh my gosh what good is this doing if women are still poor? Like you do two years of work, you do all this, and then what? So that's when it was like, we'll just start a company. And 
you know, I learned that in church bazaars. <laughs> you know, you can make stuff and sell it, and even if people don't want it, they'll buy it. <laughs> I am going to write that down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, seriously, I mean, like, people major in, you know, enterprise now, and they want you to get all confused by return on investments and brand positioning. And it's like, it's the same stuff recycled. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you make a candle and you sell a candle. And if you make a million candles and sell a million candles, you make more money. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and you want to pay people fair wages. You want women to be in community in a non-competitive way. You know, it's not like really, really amazingly complicated, the work of loving each other. So did the did the Episcopal Church, what was their, was, did they have a role in beginning this? Mm-mm. No. No. The chapel at Vanderbilt did, where okay. I worked. Okay. Yes. So I was appointed by the Episcopal Church in Tennessee to serve as a chaplain at Vanderbilt University. Okay. And what the good thing is, is that, you know, what's the job of a chaplain? Nobody knows. <laughs> so you can basically do anything. And, I mean, it's true. <laughs> yeah, I laugh because I can't understand, yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know, we're a presence on the campus, and we do a couple Bible studies a week. Awesome. And we have coffee with people. You know, it's right. Um, You're describing a lot of my job as well. <laughs> <laughs> so it was easy to right. start a place like Thistle Farms from that vantage point. And then, plus, then you have interns forever. Mm. And it ended up really growing a really powerful student ministry at the same time because, again, like everybody else, students want love to be practical and relevant in this world. And then mm-hmm. they want to join in and they want to become part of that mission. And everybody that came into it fed into what you're talking about, which was the vision. So, I mean, like, if I go into Thistle Farms now, it's like I didn't dream any of that, Hmm. really. Hmm. I mean, I knew I wanted us to have a little cafe because so many people were coming by that we should serve them food. I am from now from the (laughs) South. But I didn't know it was going to be like what it's turned into is this amazing restaurant that people come from all over to sip the coffee and eat the you know, farm-to-table food and shop at the beautiful retail store. And I never had that that sense that that's what we could do. So to see it now is like that's what a community does. And I think that's my advice is like whatever ideas y'all have on staff, don't take it to committee because obviously that's where, you know, ideas die. <laughs> <laughs> but... I do think if you have a few people who can really share and support it and not tear it down and say, here's another layer, here's another layer, here's something I can bring, you know, all of a sudden you have a chemist and you have an interior designer and you have an accountant, and you know, and you build a team. Well, uh, how, so you spoke of the trauma of losing your father when you were five and the trauma that, of abuse that happened to you, uh, can you talk more about how, like, I mean, that, to me, is that impacted Thistle Farms and how you um, have relationships with the women there? Um, well, I haven't worked with a woman in more than 20 years of this work that wow. hasn't been raped. Wow. I mean, everybody has trauma. And so it's a pretty open circle. When you talk about opening welcoming place, the way our ritual is is we gather in the morning and we light a candle and we stick it in the middle of the room, and we say we light this candle for the woman still on the street and the woman trying to find her way home, and we all get it. And I don't compare my story with the women who have come through Thistle Farms. Those are horrific, horrific stories. But I respect it 
Hmm. And I think, you know, for all of us who have whatever the trauma and brokenness is, we can respect it and come into a place and say, I'm ready to hear your story, not to judge you, but to love you and to say, I am, I am listening, and I'm listening with wide open ears. Mm-hmm. And that's how people will get better. Mm. You know, you give them the time and the space and some decent, meaningful work, people will get better. Mm. You can't kill hope in women. I mean, it looks like you can sometimes, and there's awful accidents that happen maybe in the midst of a downturn. But there, it's a, the resiliency and courage of the women is what keeps me going. It keeps me excited about the work and thinking of another idea maybe. Right. So how did y'all manage, I mean, the chaos that I'm, I'm assuming must come with starting something like this and then um, women who haven't been given that authority over their own life getting it and mm-hmm. being free from having someone telling them this is mm-hmm. what you do. I imagine that, that still there were difficulties that erupted in the midst of that. And so how does, how does Thistle Farms um, manage that or move right. beyond that? I know some days we are a vortex <clears throat> of chaos, truly. Um, that's a good insight. And, you know, if somebody has a relapse, whether it's an old John or a drug mm-hmm. and, or, you know, what we say is women relapse over a relationship before they ever touch a drug. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been our experience. Um, they'll go back to someone who Or they'll meet harmful. someone that's okay. still harmful. Okay. I mean, yeah, it could be someone pattern. in their past or yeah. someone now. But, I mean, you know, I don't. I think everybody knows that your head and your heart and your body don't all heal at the same mm-hmm. rate. And I think the heart's the longest mm-hmm. healing thing. But um, what we do is we come back in the circle. So we're sitting in the circle when someone announces, you know, they're getting married, they're having a baby, they're graduating. And we sit in the circle when someone's overdosed mm-hmm. and lost someone close to them or, um, you know, Anything bad that you can think of, we've gone through it. I mean, we've identified women by a sleeve of tattoos who mm. was murdered. We've seen women women go back to prison. About 85% of the women graduate who come into the program. That's great. But it's still, it sends ripple effects when that chaos happens or there's an argument or something. Yeah. you gotta You got to stay on your game and just like, come on, everybody, let's just be at peace and sit here. I mean, you know, part of what I think keeps us going and keeps us so um, grounded or ready to, you know, be the foundation upon which people can build is that, you know, we're about peace. So in the midst of chaos, if you can just remind people to breathe, you can be a peaceful entrepreneur, you can be a peaceful warrior, you can be a peaceful pilgrim, whatever you want to do, just put the word peace in front of it. Because, I mean, I'm not interested in a ton of stress. There's enough stress. And sitting at airports, oh, my oh, God. Really? And, you know, I, and I, I go, don't know how you're staying peaceful with six months of traveling like that. But, <laughs> no, you do if you can just go like, okay, you know, I'm going to knit. I'm going to say mm-hmm. a prayer. I'm going to go take a walk. You know, whatever you need to do, whatever works for people. You know, stress is a disease, mm-hmm. and people try to give it to you all the time. They do. They try to like, hey, da 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 and you're like, not today, baby. Uh, not wow. today. I'm not in that space. I like, I like that um, people try to give you stress. I mean, I'm like, A, I know I walk into my home plenty of times and unload that on a kid or yeah. my spouse, but that certainly uh, is a good metaphor <laughs> to think about. I, you know, it's funny. You sp- 
you talk about that. I so I get really like so traffic or inanimate objects. Mm-hmm. Like that's where like with people I'm I'm more than fine like to give people a pass, but it's like that and then like you said, like I throw that junk on Amy or mm-hmm. somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um I've been another podcast I listen to, um the host has been trying to do like these Buddhist practices. And one of the practices he read was when you feel that, like the hairs on the back of your neck rise up, whether it's anger. Um, I know I've not been doing this well, but it's <laughs> the way a, a Buddhist monk would teach you is that's an opportunity to experience peace. Mm-hmm. So like when I'm angry, my blood pressure rises. If I can like take a deep breath and like, this is an opportunity not for me to like, cuss at the traffic and beat my steering wheel. Um, but actually, no, I'm not there. I get mad at people. Jonathan gets <laughs> mad at objects. <laughs> I'm good with an inanimate object right. all day. But I know. People, what y'all need to do is then, it, maybe if that resonates with y'all, then um, if y'all are feeling like that's somewhere to go, maybe like, you know how they have all those things you do to not get the flu? Like here's four steps to not get the flu when yeah. people try to cough on you or do whatever. You know, you have to put your elbow up, mm-hmm. cough on that. You have to do wash your hands, like three things. Like maybe there's three things. Mm. Interesting. I don't know. I mean, yeah, like, no, it's uh, take a deep breath is one. The breathing. I mean, research but it takes shows more it really, it, than it a takes breath. more than one. Yeah, yeah. Maybe breathing, breathing, breathing are the three things. But I also think it's like almost for me, it is reframing it. Mm-hmm. So flight delayed is not a cuss word. It is an opportunity, like you say. So you f- reframe it and go, wow, I get to just sit for another hour mm-hmm. um, instead of being at my son's lacrosse game who's expecting me home or whatever it is and go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write him a letter. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and if I can do that, if I can reframe it, I can get there. But That's sometimes good. it's like, oh, no, I'm in Atlanta for the night. Right. Wow, okay. Another hotel room okay. for the night. Yeah. Mm. So what does, you've talked a lot about like circle time at Thistle Farms. Mm-hmm. What does like a normal day mm-hmm. in the life of Thistle Farms look like? Well, it depends on where you are in the journey. So for people who are new residents, they might be going to an outpatient therapy treatment program during the day. They are doing life skills classes. They're going to doctor's appointments. They're trying to figure out how bad, you know, this wake of trauma mm-hmm. and addiction how bad it is and begin to start looking at what it looks like to put a life back together. If you've been there more than six months, you're getting up and going to work. Mm -hmm. Most of the women by far come to Thistle Farms to work. And that day we start in the circle at nine and it goes till, um, for residents three. And then there's community meetings and, um, 12 step meetings, all kinds of stuff that people do in the evening. If you're a graduate and you're still working at Thistle Farms, it's a full-time job with benefits. You're there probably more than 40 hours right. a week because <laughs> we're, we're growing so fast that it's, it's hard. But that's, those are people who are doing training and management and they're running departments, all of it. Um, and the day looks like everybody still, I mean, no matter how long you've been there, you come to the circle and it takes 10, 15 minutes. Everybody has a quick check-in. And then if you're in manufacturing, you start pouring candles. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're in the retail division or the cafe or accounting, you know, everybody goes to their departments and 
we just start trying to hawk the bath and body care products. <laughs> I love them. They're... And then we have people in events departments like planning this trip. Mm-hmm. You know, all of that. It happened. Right. And then, um, you know, we have First Friday, so we have a big, large community meetings on Fridays. We have um, founder gatherings like three or four times a year where we'll bring in speakers and the whole community will come together and might be learning about women refugees and how it's tied to trafficking. It might be on a new program in Nigeria. It could be on oils and how to best use oils on your body. You know, so it's a number of things. But we have seminars on that stuff. What's your favorite oil? Geranium. Geranium? No question. Okay. Um, everybody has their favorites. Mine is geranium. I love that it's a bug spray. It's all natural yeah, bug spray. Right. I've used it for years. I mean, I use it in the middle of Ecuador and don't get any bites. All right. And I have not, I'm deep free for in the last mm. 10 years. That's wow. huge, right? Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. I mean, and you think about kids and all the stuff you spray on them. Mm. I love it. And I love the story behind it. I love the women in Rwanda who started the Ikarizi Cooperative to develop the geranium. And I love how it smells. It has a lot of the properties that lavender has, mm-hmm. but it's a little bit more potent. Okay. But the first time I spent, I smelled it, I loved it. Do y'all sell, I haven't looked on the website lately, like the pure essential oils? Um, we sell some. Okay. I'm not sure right now. We did have, I think we still have some geranium. We, we were running low on that one. Gotcha. But um, the other one, my second close behind it, close, close, is patchouli. That's my favorite. I love patchouli. It's so good for your skin. Oh, well, that's good to know. Mm-hmm. I just knew I liked it. I like that. I like um, rosemary. A lot. Mm-hmm. I love um, rosemary. Those are probably two of my favorite. My kid's favorite is lemongrass. Or my son's That'll favorite is That'll burn you. If he you just put... diffuses it. He, yeah. just, he loves to diffuse it um, in his room at well, night. Well, it's a happy smell. Yeah. Yeah, it's very bright. It is very, very bright. bright. What's your favorite oil? I, I, you put me on the spot, <laughs> Becca. I need to find one. Mm. Yeah, so, just, just name one if you had to. You have to name an oil. I, so I love the way lavender smells. That's perfect. That's a so, beautiful oil. And so what's funny, though, is shout out to our friend John Bailey. He is, like, hooked on these essential oils right now. He carries around a little thing. And, like, he'll bring it. So we have a small group for young adults. And he brings it to me. And so I, I smell it, like, every week. And he's been on it for, like, a strong, like, two months now. Mm-hmm. So he'll bring his little thing and let me. Well, they use them at so Church of the Reconciler. Do you know much about it here mm-hmm. in town? Um, there'll be some folks here tonight if you get the chance to meet them. But they are it? it's a United Methodist congregation that's mm-hmm. just a few blocks away and they're one of our partners. But it is it is a church that is largely for the homeless population. Mm-hmm. And so they have a ton of social services and um, do all kinds of things. But this past year or more they have been inviting the women's group and then any of the participants, men and stuff as well to come to a chair yoga class for 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And the young woman who leads it, Molly Erickson, she should be here tonight bringing several of the women from their women's group. But Molly always brings an oil with her, mm-hmm. um, and she'll pass it around. And I love it. You know, it'll we'll start the class, and she'll just like, you can rub this here and smell it. And the, I just remember one time the gentleman sitting beside me in the class, he was he was just going to town. It was all, he was put, he loved the smell. He was putting it all over himself. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in his um, camp. Yeah. I mean, um, a little dab does not do me. But, but you know, it... In the midst of that, these these are folks who have come off the street or who are very, you know, oppressed. Right. Um, to have those 30 minutes to move their body in a way that's free, that's relaxing, 
to take Good some deep breaths and to have a pleasant smell. I mean, mm-hmm. that that's mm-hmm. something that's a gift. Right. Um, and so, you know, an essential oils clean you. Yeah. I mean, it's not just a, a scent to cover it up. It actually it's part of their history, right? It's yeah, it's they're they're they it's a great cleanser. You can put essential oils, you know, blended with a proper carrier oil right on your face. It can clean your face. Mm. It's amazing. But that's not that's not why we're here. <laughs> We've lost Jonathan on the essential oil talk. You guys did. Let's get okay, him back. Okay, focus, so, focus. Well, uh, so a question I have. So we've talked a lot about Thistle Farms and um, everything that is great about that. What about you as an individual and kind of your 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 faith journey, your spiritual, whatever you want to call that? Um, how do you experience God today after doing it for what? It started in what year? 1997. 97. So, I mean, that's almost, if I do the math right, 21, 21 years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, What's how the do question? You, how do you experience God after 21 years of doing it still on a daily you basis? You mean on that work or just in general? In general, yeah. Because, I mean, that wouldn't, I've been experiencing God for 55 years. Mm-hmm. True. What's st- your favorite way currently to experience God? Oh, I got you. God? Okay. <laughs> there you because, go. Because if you, you said, like, what keeps me energized about the work after 21 years, to me, you know, it's, you know, it's definitely the women's stories. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can hear two or three stories and be good for months. Mm. Um, if you ask me about today how I experience God, um, I experience God the best when I'm feeling grateful, when I'm really feeling grateful, when I remember, when I remember myself and remember all that I've done and gotten to see and people I've gotten to meet and I get grateful. It's like I'm way open spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, almost all my ideas, and I've probably started now six justice enterprises, um, they start, almost every story begins when I was walking in the woods. Mm. So I think I experience um, the creator God the best mm. when I'm in the woods. And I experience the redeemer God the best when I'm grateful. And I think I experience the sustaining God best with my husband. Mm. That my experience of my marriage, um, it's been up and down, but the fact that he has just... He has been this constant love, even in the ups and downs. It's like, that's really an experience of God for me. And, you know, I'm not going to knock the bread and wine. Mm. I love standing at an altar and repeating the words and breaking bread. Mm. That's how I... So, that, just off that. the top of my head, that's... That, you did really well. Yeah, no, yeah. I like the idea of thinking about how you experience God on the, in, in the Trinity like that, mm-hmm. the creator, the redeemer, the sustainer, um, and the different expressions of that and what meets you mm-hmm. in each moment. Because um, they're different, right? They are. They I are. mean, like, you know, just whenever you get eyes to see or ears to hear and you take something in and see it, you know, as a real presence of God, it's such a gift. And they come in different ways and affect me in different ways. Mm-hmm. Is that how you understand it? Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've not thought of it in that terms until you said it, but that makes really wonderful, sound theological sense to me. Oh, um, stop. I've never been <laughs> accused of sound theology. Well, I, I'm thinking Trinitarian <laughs> because we, as a church, we did a retreat recently, and we've been reading a lot of Richard Rohr, so his book, The Divine Dance, and just 
the relationship uh, within the Trinity is stuff that's kind of been rattling around in my brain um, probably in the last six months. But I, I think I tend to resonate the most with the Creator um, in the sense of nature. I grew up in the woods, too. I'm a huge horse fanatic, and I don't get access to them anymore. But as a kid, I would have told you if I knew how to articulate it that I felt most in tune with God on the back of a horse in the mm. woods. And I don't do that anymore, so now I would have to say it's you know being on a boat on the lake, mm-hmm. um, being uh, my my house has a creek behind it, and these folks here know that you know when I write my sermon, most of the time it's sitting on my back porch so I can see the water and hear the water. So it's always for me tied to being outside and in, in, in creation in some way. Becca just looked at me. I think I'm supposed to answer this question. <laughs> <laughs> I loved how you talked about... Um, so for me, I'm very relational, so I love being with people. Um, and to your point, uh, whether it's a meal with my family, just me and my wife and our dog, or the larger family, the extended family, or even... even I, I, I love doing... This is only the third podcast we've done, but I've thoroughly enjoyed just being with people and hearing... like I, I love to story tell. Um, I got that from my father. He was really good at telling stories, and I've gleaned that from him. And so I just love to tell stories. And so uh, to sit around and just share stories with people is, like, my favorite thing to do. Oh, my gosh, yes. And uh, what's funny is <laughs> so I, I'm going to humbly brag and say I'm good at telling stories. I mean, I've done it a he lot. Is. And one thing about telling a good story, you have to embellish. Mm. And that's a better word than saying lie. Or truish, <laughs> as I say. True-ish. There you go. Truish. Well, I, I'm good at embellishing as well. Well, my wife likes to interrupt my stories. <laughs> no. Thank you, Becca. Thank you for All being right, on I'm my gonna side. I'm going to take up for Amy here. No, because... <laughs> I'm on your side totally. Thank you. And she, she says she's That's enhancing. why sermons are good. There you go. She's enhancing my story. But how often do you let Amy tell a story? Amy can tell all the stories that she wants to tell. I'm never going to enhance her story or the worst mm, story steal. Story steal. When I'm, I've done all the work. I've done the ninety percent and my, the ten percent part left. <laughs> she steals it from me. That's my heart, y'all. Uh, that is the saddest thing. Like ever. your blood pressure just elevated. And now we need to breathe. <laughs> And we need to reframe it. So, Les, why don't you close us with a story? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, going back to what I talked about, I'm not good at is uh, traffic. So, yesterday, so we do our um, our student ministry does a Bible study every Wednesday night, and so we don't do it here on campus. We don't meet here initially because it's not we're not in the middle of like a neighborhood. So we meet over at a food court, the Brookwood Mall, and we meet at five thirty, do dinner there. Um, sometimes we'll stay there and just hang out. Sometimes we'll come back to the church. So I leave here downtown Birmingham at four thirty. Supposed to be there by five thirty. I like to get there early. Probably five miles. Yeah, it's really close. Um, I, but I, I'm always like I want to be early and just be there. Yeah. And I knew there was traffic. Um, There's usually traffic here around that time. So I don't know what happened, but 65, Highway 65 was just a mess, Interstate 65. It was like standstill. I could see it driving up to it, and I just, my blood started to boil. So I'm very creative. I know all, like, the back way. So I start going my back way. My back way is a mess. It's back. And I, like, at this point, I'm like, 
I got to break my phone out and help me. <laughs> so I open up Waze on my phone and I start, I'm driving through a neighborhood um, over in the south side of Birmingham that I've never been, it's near UAB, never been in. And I'm driving around and I look, like you can look around and I see all red, which mm. is not good mm-hmm. on an app like Waze right. where you're mm-hmm. trying to get somewhere. And I stop and I'm trying to like look around the map and I just start like, Cussing and hitting the steering wheel. Oh my gosh. And I look over and there's this like little old oh. lady standing there. Like I'm in her neighborhood. <laughs> oh, causing, that's and, a sad story. <laughs> well, here's what's well, funny though. Okay, the funny part about it is in that moment, I like could only go to her perspective and like to see in the mm-hmm. inaudible, like me hitting the steering wheel, yelling and seeing that from her perspective. So I just rolled down the window. I'm sorry. Did and you I, say you're oh, sorry? Oh, yeah. I apologize. I was. Did being, you tell her you were a youth minister? No, I didn't go into detail, <laughs> but I apologize because I was, Good I, for you. I was acting a fool and I just rolled my window up and drove off. Um, so that. Did you get there? I got there like right at 530. There like, you go. By the skin of my teeth, yeah. Um, so you're, to your point, yeah, I got there. That's if I would have, if I would have just. Mm. So what's the moral? Mm. The moral. Hmm. I'll tell you. Like, All right. Please. My, I think the moral is that it doesn't do anybody any good to get that man. I think mm. you're right. And it just embarrasses you. And I've done it too. Yeah. I have done it. Well, I did it. Um, this was a few years ago. My kids were. And I said, you go get in line at the restaurant. I'll go park the car and come back. And they had that little buzzer thing, and Uh the family came in after us. And they seated them, and I was in there, and I was like, oh, my God, they just jumped us. Mm -hmm. And I walked up to the lady, and I said, excuse me. You know, like all in my privileged, pathetic self. Right, we were here. We were here before them. And she goes, oh, are you Becca Stevens? Oh. <laughs> she goes, I was just reading your walking Bible study meditations. And I was like, yes, and anytime you'd like to see us, just let us know. And he was like, oh. But it is that. It's like, what good does it do to get mad about stuff that like that? And you just embarrass yourself. Right. And I think that's my moral. Unfortunately, like, you hardly ever remember that in the, in the moment when you're that angry. Yeah. yeah. God. No, I was embarrassed, yeah. It's awful. Yeah. Wow. Well, well that's never I ever absolve happened to me. you. Thank you. Thank you, Becca. <laughs> and, and next time you get mad, just know that I join you in breathing. <laughs> in breathing. I will work on that. We should take a deep breath. Well, thank you so much. Yes. This thank has you. been a joy. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope you felt good about it. Did I love being it? here. Thank good. you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Becca. We greatly appreciate and it. And so, really, everybody needs to go online at thistlefarms.org and put their money where their That's values right. are. You're Amen. Gonna, you're going to do more than shop. You're going to invest in women's lives to so buy your candles, soaps, any products for Roll your home. essential oils. Love Everything. Them. There's... Um, I mean, there's stuff from 26 organizations on the site. You're going to love it. And I, right. am I correct? I saw something about Amazon. Can I get your stuff on Amazon? Did I make that up? No, but um, you can get, we're in all the Whole Foods. Yeah, which is Whole Foods. Which is that's now through Amazon. That's, that's how Amazon. I saw that. So yeah. you can buy things in Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. Tell me your son's name. Levi Hummin. Levi Hummin. And he sings Love Heals and other songs you can find. Absolutely. There you go. Wonderful. But Love Heals is the only appropriate one. All right. Well, hey, look, we're open place for all. I'm teasing. He has great songs. Thank you, Becca. Thank you so much, Becca.